Well, hello, and welcome to Hari Cuts. I'm Hari Stephen Kumar, and tonight is Monday, August 24th. It is exactly 10 weeks away till the election of our lifetimes, and certainly for me, the most consequential election of my life, an election that I think many of us will be telling stories about for decades to come. Speaking of those stories, one of the things that I'm committed to as a storyteller myself, but also as a storytelling coach, is to really think about what are all the different ways that we can each be more than just a spectator, but actually be at least supporting characters, if not main characters, in shaping the stories that are at play all around us. And especially with something so big like this election, where so much is at stake, it can seem pretty daunting. What can any of us really do? There are any number of podcasts out there that feature much more expert analysis from people who are way more influential than I am or than than most of us are. And so what I want to do with this podcast is I actually want to feature everyday stories. And I want to share with you some examples and some people that I am meeting just in my own everyday life as I'm trying to find ways to volunteer and get more involved in this election in shaping the outcome of this election. And so I'm committing every Monday night, no matter how tired I am, to just share with you a few stories of everyday people just from this past week or so. And so this episode is the start. Hopefully there'll be 10 more episodes ahead. Well, nine more episodes ahead and hopefully an episode right after the election. And hopefully that will be a a happy episode after the election. But even if not, even if things don't, don't turn out the way that I hope they will turn out, even if we don't manage to get Trump kicked out of office in 10 weeks, I'm thinking about my kids, and I'm thinking about what they might ask when they're older, <laughs> if we survive. And what I'd like to do is to have these next 10 or so episodes be sort of a, an oral history of in the moment. What do each of these weeks look like and feel like? Not from the perspective of the news or not from the perspective of, you know, the, the grand events that are going to be happening every week, but from the perspective of just everyday ordinary people trying to make sense of how to make a difference in this election. The soundtrack for these episodes is actually a song called The Long View. It's a royalty-free song provided for free by the good folks at the at Purple Planet Music. And I felt this song is very, very appropriate for taking the long view toward not just the stories that are happening week by week, but the, the bigger story of what may or may not happen 10 weeks from now. So come with me and let's take the long view. Let me share with you some stories from just this past couple weeks. The woman in front of the room looks at all of us commandingly and says, repeat after me, I, and we all say, I, and then she says, state your name. And in that moment, I hear all around me a whole murmur of voices saying different names. 
Hari, Patricia, Justin, Jessica, Sandy, Sheila, and so on and so on and so forth. I, Hari Kumar, solemnly swear that I will faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all the duties incumbent on me as an election worker, according to the best of my ability and understanding, agreeably to the Constitution and the laws of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and the town charter and bylaws of the town of Auburn, so help me God. And of course, as I say this, the different voices around me are all saying the same oath in different cadences and different accents. Many of them, as is common in Massachusetts, uh, actually say the town charter and bylaws of the town of Auburn. So help me God. Because in Massachusetts, the R apparently doesn't have a right to vote. But as I, as I look around this room in this auditorium, it is Thursday, August 13th. It's about 10.30 or so in the morning. It's a humid day, but about 20, 25 people have gathered in this auditorium of this high school. And many of them have gathered to take this oath to become a poll worker. Myself and a few others in this, in this crowd are completely new to being a poll worker. This is our very, very, very first time. In front of the room is Deb, the town clerk of Auburn. And she's taking us through a training for poll workers. And this is actually the first time that in Massachusetts, town clerks have been given the authority to recruit and hire poll workers to help with staffing polling stations for the upcoming election. In fact, only about a month ago, the state legislature in Massachusetts passed a series of laws designed to help towns uh, like Auburn deal with the poll worker shortage, but also deal with other facets of making this upcoming election a little bit easier to manage, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. And so as I'm sitting there, I'm realizing that in that moment, as I've taken this oath, I have now become an election official. I'm going to be involved in the behind-the-scenes work of actually helping process all of the different ballots and the votes cast by people in this town of Auburn. And the town of Auburn isn't even my town. I live a couple of towns over next to Auburn, but the town clerk at my town um, wasn't looking for volunteers. And as I searched around and I, as I began calling around, Auburn was one of the towns that very actively reached out to me and signed me up for this training right away. And so as I look around the room and as I begin to realize that over the next two months, many of the people in this room are going to be poll workers with me, that I'm actually going to be staffing the polls with them and helping process mail-in ballots with them, I begin to get curious about some of them. Most of the people in this room are older. Many of them look to be at least over 60. Some of them look to be over 70. 
most of them are women. There are very, very, very few men in this room. I look to be one of the younger men here, but there is another man here who seems younger than me. Many of the folks in this room also seem to have other things to be doing, but they have chosen to show up on a Thursday morning, and they are now spending what's going to be at least two hours before Deb is finished with her PowerPoint slides, even though the projector isn't working. And so we're trying to follow along as best as we can, and Deb is doing the best she can without actually having any slides behind her. And it's very clear that Deb, the town clerk of Auburn, has stories to tell. She is sharing with us experience and anecdotes and examples from her years of being a town clerk administering elections. For me and for me, for I, I believe others for whom this is our very, very first time being a poll worker, many of the details she's sharing with us are going straight over my head. I have absolutely no idea what she's talking about. But where I would normally be a little bit frustrated and annoyed and a little bit bored, I notice something else. I notice that I'm paying attention, even though I can't see the slides even though Deb is going off on tangents, I'm actually curious and really, really interested. And I begin to wonder about the others around me. As time approaches, it becomes noon, 12.30. The training was supposed to be done at noon. Deb finally wraps up, and there's a line of people waiting to talk with her. And in the line, as I'm there to submit paperwork as well, I begin to talk to some of the other people in the line. I learned that the other guy who is younger and he shows up, stands right next to me, turns out his name is Justin. He's bearded. He's a father-to-be. His, his wife and himself, they're expecting their, their first child any week now, he says. He's actually working a job where he's doing a double shift, and he has showed up to this training straight from the end of two back-to-back shifts, and he is exhausted. This is his very, very first time being a poll worker, and he seems excited, enthused, really, really eager to help out. Right next to him, is Patricia, or Pat. And it turns out she's actually a veteran poll worker. She has worked these polls for years and years and years. And she's excited that there are new people. She actually immediately asks if I can be with her at her precinct. And Deb nods. And it turns out Pat has stories to tell. And I begin to wonder about Justin. What were his motivations? What's Pat's motivation to be a poll worker, especially in the middle of a pandemic? What's Deb's story? What are all these other people's stories? What will the next 10 weeks be like? Not just for me as a poll worker. There's a primary election coming up next week here in Massachusetts, Tuesday, September 1st. But also for the general election. But in between those, those weeks, what is it going to be like for us as poll workers? 
Deb has already said she's going to need us to help out with mail-in ballots. I only know a little bit about what it's like to, what, what it means to send in mail-in ballots. And I know mail-in ballots are a huge topic in the news during this election cycle. But what's the actual process like for mail-in ballots on the other side? What kinds of things is Deb looking for to actually help with processing mail-in ballots? And how can I help with that? And why am I taking a risk here? I just had COVID earlier this year. I was sick for a month in April, and it took me a whole month in May to recover. The latest news tells me that there's no guarantee that I'm immune because I've had COVID. So why am I so motivated to, to be involved in this process? Well, to get to that, we need to get to a slightly different story. Let's actually shift gears a little bit and go to Wisconsin. There's a beep in my ear, and I begin speaking immediately. Uh, uh, hello? Uh, uh, my name is Hari, and I'm, I'm calling with the, uh, with the Wisconsin Democratic Party. Uh, may, may I speak with Julie, please? There's a, a little bit of a pause, and then this elderly woman's voice comes over the phone. Yes, this is Julie. And I, I go, oh, hi, uh, I, I'm calling just to take a couple minutes of your time to, to just kind of uh, ask you some, uh, some questions and some, some issues. Uh, well, to ask you about what issues um, you, you, you really care about for this upcoming election, which is a very important election. Uh, I, I, we're not calling asking for money. Uh, I'm just curious, what are some issues that, that you feel are really important to you? And I'm already feeling like, oh my God, I'm I'm really blowing this this call. Um, I'm a phone bank volunteer. Uh, I, I'm trying to strike up a conversation, and I I'm not even looking at the script at this moment. But then Julie says something that takes me back. She says, "Huh. Well, I think capitalism needs to go." And, I, and I, I'm looking at the script and I'm realizing that the script has asked me to ask voters to tell me a little bit about what issues they care about. And it's given me a set of choices to mark depending on what they say. Healthcare, COVID-19, the economy, income inequality, you know, various things like that. Uh Getting rid of capitalism is not one of the choices there. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, how do I, how do I steer this conversation? And perhaps at this moment, Julie, beginning to realize my, my little discomfort here, chuckles softly and says, but if you're asking me for a more concrete thing, well, I would say probably, you know, income inequality and, you know, I think healthcare is a big issue for me. And so I'm relieved. And I, I quickly click healthcare on, on the screen in front of me. And, and I ask her, I say, you know, I, I hear a lot about healthcare from a lot of different people. 
Um, and that that's issue certainly matters a lot to me as well. Can I ask you, why does this mean so much to you? Why does this issue of healthcare mean so much to you? And that's that's basically just a standard question I'm supposed to ask this voter. And Julie stops and thinks for a second and then shares her story. She tells me about how she had just had surgery earlier this year and her health insurance had been provided by her employer and it had covered her. But then after the surgery, she was on physical therapy and she couldn't work as much as she was and her hours were cut back. And because her hours were cut back, her employer cut her level of health insurance down to a level that her physical therapy was not covered anymore. And so then she had to forego physical therapy and be in pain and not uh, recover from the surgery as well as she needed to. Our conversation continued from that point on, but that story stuck with me. It is Sunday, August 16th, just about a few days after I had done that that, um, poll worker training. This time, this Sunday afternoon, I'm actually a volunteer making phone calls on behalf of the Wisconsin Democratic Party through an organization known as Swing Left. And this particular chapter of Swing Left is the Swing Left Greater Boston chapter. And the Greater Boston chapter had organized people to call into Wisconsin to make phone calls to voters in Wisconsin. Because it turns out that even though I'm living here in Massachusetts, the outcome of the election at the state level here in Massachusetts isn't really that much in doubt. The Democrat is likely going to win this state. And so for me as a supporter of Democrats, and especially as somebody wanting to see Trump not get reelected, me casting my ballot here in Massachusetts only makes that much of a difference. Even me trying to get out other people to vote here in Massachusetts to vote against Trump only really makes very little difference. But in states like Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, even Maine, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, all of these other states where the outcome is a lot closer, the election is a lot closer, they're persuading voters to, uh, can really have, it, have an impact. And so I signed up to be a phone bank volunteer. But one of the things that, that was interesting is that the phone bank organizers found themselves actually needing not just volunteers. There are so many people now signing up to be volunteers at these phone banks. What these organizers, Steve and Ben, what they needed was they needed somebody to help them train these volunteers on how to make these phone calls. So I'm actually making these calls on this Sunday, August 16th, as a way to not just learn the script, but also as a way to think ahead and put together a training, because that's what I do. I love training. I love putting together training workshops. And I love coaching people on how to connect with other people over the phone. It's what I do in sales. I'm a sales storytelling coach. And so for me, this is a unique challenge. How can I contribute my skills as a trainer, and especially as a sales trainer, uh, 
to help phone bank callers, and especially those that may have never made phone calls before, especially these kinds of phone, phone calls, to just random strangers, what we in sales call cold calling. Is there any way that I can actually help people make connections, especially to voters like Julie, who it turns out isn't elderly, just sounds that way, and really, really cares about getting Trump out of office? And Julie, it turns out, is actually fairly new to Wisconsin, has just moved there last year with her husband from New York. And Julie does not want to take a risk going into the polling station to vote in person with COVID around. But Julie's not exactly sure how to go about getting a mail-in ballot. So on the phone, I was able to guide her to the website for the the Wisconsin state uh, election um, office that uh, allowed her to get her absentee, her her mail-in ballot. And I was also able to give her the phone number of a voter assistance hotline that will help her and her friends get their mail-in ballots and send them in. That Sunday, as I hung up the phone of the Julie and I began making a few more calls, and as we debriefed together, there were about 20 of us making these calls. Some of us from Boston, but some from Portland, Oregon, some from California, who were all volunteering with various different swing left groups, specifically to target states like Wisconsin. And as we debriefed and we learned that among the 20 of us, over those two hours, we had made, we had had over 200 conversations with people. And these were all people that were in the persuadable middle. Some like Julie, who were already persuaded to vote against Trump, but some who were still making up their minds. And this was just from one afternoon of calling. And I began to get curious. What are these other folks' stories? What's motivating Steve and Ben, the organizers, to organize this phone bank? And as they are now beginning to scale, because of, of me coming on board, they now have plans to have four different phone bank sessions happening per week. What got them so interested? What's, what's motivating them to, to volunteer their time out of their everyday lives? These are not, Steve and Ben are not paid by Swing Left. They're also volunteers like me. And then meanwhile, a week later, just this past Sunday, I actually got to put together the first training workshop for these phone bank trainers. And so back again, there I am on the phone, this time as a trainer. And I shared the story of Julie with the new people this past Sunday. And among those new people is Barbara. And Barbara is retired. And Barbara lives just outside Boston. And for Barbara... This is her very, very, very first time doing phone banking. She has never volunteered to make phone calls to strangers in faraway states like this. And she shares that she's intimidated by the prospect of trying to convince somebody to change their minds. And so I assure Barbara, and I share with with Barbara and the other new people on the call, on the training call, the story of Julie. And I share with them how the purpose of these calls on Sunday afternoons isn't to persuade somebody. It's actually just to get them to talk about the issues that they care about. And in doing so, get them to see that 
voting for Trump is actually not going to help them, not, not going to help those issues. And so by the end of that day, the end of that afternoon, Barbara actually ends up making 10, having 10 different conversations. And Barbara says that she is so inspired by her experience that she's going to come back and make phone calls again next Sunday. What are some of their stories? And what motivates them? In the weeks to come, what are their weeks going to be like? And especially as the stories of the election ebb and flow, and as, as there are going to be discouraging events coming up ahead, how can I and Steve and Ben and Rebecca, another volunteer who's organized trainings like this for a different group, what will keep our spirits up? How can we encourage each other and how can we stay focused? And what is it that actually is going to keep us going? Well, that brings me to what just happened today. Let me take you behind the scenes of a polling station. It's 9 a.m. I'm in a high school gymnasium with a few other poll workers and with Deb, the intrepid town clerk of Auburn, Mass. Deb has gathered us and we, her troops, are ready for her instructions. She wheels out boxes of mail-in ballots that have been mailed in over the past two weeks or so. Our job today is going to be to process these mail-in ballots. Today, Monday, August 24th, is the start of early voting here in Massachusetts for the state primary election that's happening next Tuesday. In many ways, this state primary election is, on, in most election cycles, isn't really that um, well attended. But this year is different. This year, this is the first state election that's going to be happening during a global pandemic. And as a result, this primary election is going to be the first election in Massachusetts where we're expecting a significant number of people to mail in their ballots. And that's why Deb wants us here to actually help process these mail-in ballots. In many ways, this is also a dry run for the general election. The general election in November, on Tuesday, November 3rd, will actually have two weeks of early voting where people can come in and cast their votes in person. But Deb is expecting a significantly higher volume of mail-in ballots to come in for November. So what we're about to do today is actually going to be helpful for us as we train and, and get prepared for November. But November is still 10 weeks away we have a primary election to get through. There are six of us poll workers today. Deb divides us into two groups. Two of us are going to be staffing the front desk for anybody that's actually going to stop in and vote in person during this early, early election period, early voting period. And it turns out there are a fair number of people who come in. It's pretty light traffic, but there are a few. But the remaining four of us, myself included, 
Dev brings us to the back of the room where she has us set up voting machines and we begin to work on processing these mail-in ballots. I am paired up with Pat and along with us are veteran poll workers Sheila and Amy. I feel immediately a bit more comfortable knowing that these three people, Pat, Sheila, and Amy, they've all done this before. They've all processed, you know, uh, votes before, and I'm just there to help out. And so we begin. We set up a table, Pat and I, and we are given a big bin of envelopes. Now, these are manila brown envelopes. And each envelope is sealed, and each envelope has a label on it that has the name of the voter and a barcode. And right above the label is a place where the voter should have signed their envelope. Our job is to actually take these envelopes, these are the ballots that people have mailed in, and what we have to do is to process them. And it turns out, Processing these mail-in ballots is a painstaking procedure. Here's how it goes. I sit down at the table, and in front of me is an iPad. And on the iPad is a screen that asks me to, to check in the voter. Now, on election day, when a voter comes into this polling station, I'm supposed to ask them, what their address is, and then look up their their name and their address to see if they're on the active voter list. If they are on the active voter list, I then give them their ballot, and then they go into a voting booth, and they fill out their ballot, and then they take it over to a voting machine, and they run the, the ballot through the voting machine themselves. I'm there only to help in case they run into an issue with the voting machine. But otherwise, my main role is just to give them their ballot. With these mail-in ballots, we have to simulate that process. We have to act as if this voter has actually showed up in person. So the very first step, I take a manila envelope, and I look at the name on the envelope, and I look at my iPad. Now, on the back of the iPad, there's a camera, and so this iPad, the election software on this iPad allows me to scan the barcode that's on the envelope and it will look up this person. So I kind of finagle the manila envelope, put it in front of the, the iPad and press the scan button. And sure enough, it shows me that this voter is actually registered, is an active voter, and that Deb and her colleagues at the town hall have already marked this ballot as having been received by them in the mail. So now the voter can track on the website, the state's website, to see what the status of, the, of their vote is, of their ballot is, and it will tell them that it was at least received. My job is then to mark this ballot as having been checked in to the polling station, as if this person had actually just showed up. And so I do that. I click the button on my iPad to say, this person is checked in. And when I do that, it also tells me which ballot this person has sent in. Because this is the state primary, people in Massachusetts can only select the ballot of the party to which they're registered. In the general election, it's different. People can vote 
um, for a candidate on just one ballot. But in the state primary, it's by party. And so I'm beginning to see Republican votes coming in, Democrat votes coming in. And this is central Massachusetts, this town, Auburn. In central Massachusetts, there are actually a fair number of Republicans. And so as I'm processing these votes, that's one of the things I'm thinking through. It's like, huh, there's a lot more Republicans voting in in the mail-in ballot than I had anticipated. And so the next thing that happens is I then hand the manila envelope to my fellow poll worker, Pat. And her role is to open the manila envelope and take out the ballot. And at this point, the ballot and the envelope part ways. The ballot is anonymous. We have no idea, just looking at the ballot, who cast this ballot. Pat then takes that ballot and scans it through the voting machine. And as I look at the voting machine, I realize that the voting machine is marked Dominion Voting. And it turns out Dominion is a private company that makes voting machines, and Dominion Voting actually has connections to some far-right Republican uh, organizations. And so there's any number of conspiracy theories out there about Dominion Voting's you know, electronic voting machines being susceptible to hacking or through just outright manipulation. But here I am as a poll worker trying to do my part in helping with the civic participation process. So Pat takes the envelope, opens it up, takes out the, the ballot, feeds it into the machine. The machine beeps. We're down by one vote. We've got a whole bin more to go. We begin processing. I end up spending eight hours today at this polling station from nine all the way till about 5.30 or so. Pat, myself, Sheila, and Amy process two precincts out of the five precincts in Auburn. And it turns out, just for these two precincts, we process today 1,200 mail-in ballots. And because these are mail-in ballots, we actually triple-checked these mail-in ballots. We checked them. I actually handled every single one of these 1,200 ballots, as did Pat, as did Sheila, as did Amy. We, we check them when they come out of their manila, the manila envelopes. We check them after we have put them in through the machine. And at the end of the day, we opened the machine up and we unloaded all the ballots and then hand-counted all the ballots to make sure that the tally of the ballots matched what the machine told us that it had counted. We also checked and double-checked and triple-checked ballots where people had made a mistake, ballots where people had written in their candidate of choice, and ballots where people had mistakenly chosen one candidate only to cross it out and choose another candidate. If they had done that and clearly indicated which candidate was they'd originally chosen, we counted it. But other ballots where they made a mistake but it wasn't clear, those ballots had to be thrown out. Those were invalid ballots. And so we had to painstakingly go through all 1,200 of these ballots to make sure that 
any mistaken ballots were not counted, and that any ballots that were that show the true intent were actually counted. And in doing this, throughout the day, we begin to share a little bit about our respective stories. Pat shares with us the story of how she is not really a townie of Auburn, but she sure sounds like one. She knows the town. She knows she's been there for decades and knows just about everybody there and knows just about all the streets in Auburn. As envelopes come up, she tells me about that street and this street, and she tells me about that family and this family. They also get curious about me. I'm the only non-white person in this in this room. And when I signed up for poll worker duty, when I was in the room with about 20 to 30 other poll workers, I was the only non-white poll worker there. And I share with them a little bit about my own story, about growing up in Yemen, in a military dictatorship, where I was just simply not allowed to vote, because I was not Yemeni, for one thing, but I was also not Muslim, a prerequisite to becoming a Yemeni citizen. I tell them stories about being in India when I was a college student, and how voting in India, especially in South India, where, where my family was, was a bit of a joke, where there was so much voter intimidation and so much ballot stuffing that it really felt futile to even go out and vote. And I tell them about how in the U.S. it took me 11 years to become a citizen and how finally in 2011 when I became a citizen in the U.S. that's the very, very first time that I was actually eligible to vote anywhere at 35 and how for the past eight to nine years, I've taken voting very seriously precisely because I've been ineligible to vote for so much of my adult life. And that's because of that that I take not just voting so seriously, but that I take the civic participation of voting very seriously. And regardless of all the propaganda out there about all the, the possibility of fraud in the U.S. elections, Having been in places where widespread fraud does occur, I, I know not to take for granted all of the various civic-minded you know, poll worker uh, duties that we're doing and, and all the scrupulous inspection that we do for all these ballots. And even though the four of us were working so closely together for these six hours, I can't tell you whether my fellow poll workers were Republicans or Democrats, I can't tell you whether any of them were Trump supporters or not. Not because I'm sworn to some kind of secrecy, but it's because we simply just did not talk about it. There was this unspoken sense that we, at least as poll workers, were not there today as political operatives. We were there today to help with the, the broader process of making democracy happen. And for me, even though I know that here in Central Mass, in Auburn, even though I know that most of the votes that will be cast will likely be by Republicans, because here in Central Mass, in this Central Mass town, Republicans are the majority, even though Massachusetts as a state will likely go toward Biden. So even though I know that I, as a poll worker, will likely be helping 
Republican votes be counted, that still matters to me. It still matters to me that people get out and people vote, regardless of what their political views are. I don't believe that the way to win this election is to stop Republicans from voting. I believe that the way to win this election and to get Trump out of office is to get people to vote, and especially to get people to vote who really, really, really believe that the best way forward for us is to get Trump out of office. And so, that's a part of my motivation. Ten weeks to go. Next week, I'm going to bring you stories from Wisconsin again. And stay tuned. I'll bring you interviews with Steve and maybe a few others as well, organizers, volunteers like me, who are also trying to do their part with what's to come. In the meantime, stay safe. Well, you know what? Don't stay safe. Stay dangerous. Stay human. And stay tuned. Thank you.